thanks uh, to the choir this morning. It's good to have you all back and part of uh, our worship. Our scripture this morning comes from Romans, the 14th chapter, verses 1 through 12. Welcome those who are weak in faith, but not for the purpose of quarreling over opinions. This, this uh, second verse here has always had special meaning for me. Some people believe in eating anything, while the weak only eat vegetables. Well, it's, well, it's surprising what you can find in the Bible if you read it. So. Those who eat must not despise those who abstain. And those who abstain must not pass judgment on those who eat. For God has welcomed them. You are to pass judgment. Who are you to pass judgment on servants of another? It is before their own Lord that they stand or fall. And they will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Some judge one day to be better than another, while others judge all days to be alike. Let all be fully convinced in their own minds. Those who observe the day, observe it in honor of the Lord. Also those who eat, eat in honor of the Lord, since they give thanks to God. While those who abstain, abstain in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. We do not live to ourselves, and we do not die to ourselves. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, so that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then, each of us will be accountable to God. As God's word for us this morning. As uh, we begin to look at these verses, I want to take just a few moments to talk a little bit about the letter, Paul's letter to the Romans, to the church, and uh, the significance that this letter has played in the history of the life of the church over many, many centuries. Uh, Many years ago, around the late 300s or early 400s AD, there was a man named Augustine, and Augustine was uh, a moral reprobate. He uh, was a man of some means, but he used that uh, that money to party, uh, to have uh, to womanize. He, there was nothing necessarily commendable about Augustine. Uh, his life was not something to be followed or uh, a good example uh, by which to live. Augustine uh, also happened to be in, at that time uh, strongly connected to the church, although that was not having much influence on him at the time. Uh, he wasn't living in, in any way any, uh, any way connected with uh, uh, a way that you would expect a person, uh, a clergy person, to live. 
One of his uh, friends directed him to Romans. And it was the 13th chapter. And he directed him to the 13th and 14th verse. Let us live honorably, as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy, but instead put on Jesus Christ. Well, Augustine, through the power of the Holy Spirit, recognized himself in those verses. And in reading Romans, and particularly those verses, that that, uh, convicted him. The Holy Spirit convicted him. He was converted, and Augustine became one of the great theologians in all of the church. In fact, his uh, works are still read today in seminary. He had a profound influence in shaping the early theology of of the church, and his theology continues to help inform and shape us even in this day. Oh, several hundred years later, in fact, over a thousand years later, a man named Martin Luther, who was convinced that the way to the Lord was through uh, self-discipline, by uh, doing everything that you could possibly do to invoke God's grace and God's pleasure, uh, went through all kinds of rigorous uh, behavior, attempting to win God's favor. To find God's grace. So Luther would get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and he'd pray for hours on end. Uh, one story uh, said that, that Luther, in a pilgrimage to Rome, climbed the steps of St. Peter's on his knees in order to try to curry God's favor, to be assured of God's grace. One of his friends finally suggested to him, Uh, Martin, why don't you pick up uh, the book and and read Romans? And in reading that, Luther came across the verses in in Romans 5 and 6 that talk about justification by faith. That we're all sinners, falling short of the the glory of God. There's nothing that that we can do. There's, There's nothing that merits God's grace in our life. It's at God's initiative. It's because God loves us. We're justified by our faith. And in taking that as the the cornerstone of his changed life, Luther went on to uh, proclaim that. It became and is a linchpin of the Protestant faith and the Catholic faith. That were justified by faith through grace. And in this latter day, in the 20th century, a man named Karl Barth, perhaps the greatest 20th century theologian that we have, also reading the uh, commentary or writing a commentary on Romans and, and reading Romans, determined that the mainstream church had, had lost its way and needed to reclaim the great teachings that we have in the New Testament. And so in his commentary on Romans, Bart directed the church to a reclaiming 
of what other theologians called orthodoxy and had a profound influence in the uh, what some would call the third great awakening of the church in the 1950s and beyond. Romans has been significant for, uh, for literally 2,000 years. But there's one thing that Romans shares in, in uh, common with two other writings, at least two other writings, that Paul uh, letters that Paul writes to the church. Corinthians deals with the same kind of issue that Paul is writing to the Romans about. And the church in Galatia struggled with the same thing. Food fights. Now, in Romans... Paul writes to folks, and I want you to imagine this. It's hard perhaps for us to to, uh, fully embrace this, but imagine this. You've been taught something all your life, that this is the right way to do things. This is the right thing to follow. Uh, If you don't do this, if you adhere to the rules, you're righteous. You're, you're, You're doing the right thing. And you've been taught that since there's a, 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 you, from whatever age it is that you, are, you were able to understand and remember it. And then along comes uh, this guy, Jesus, who talks about God's love, who talks about God's grace, who talks about, who embodies what you guys read in the call to worship. That's my favorite, my favorite call to worship. Uh, we've used it in this church before over the years. Uh, if you get bored with the sermon, I encourage you to go back to the call to worship and read that. It's awesome. Jesus talks about that. And Paul understands that. Grace. And so Paul says to these folks who all their life has, have learned, you don't eat these things. Paul says, well, you know, it's a different world now. Things have changed. And we have different kind of folks in the church that didn't grow up that way. They they didn't get that rule when when they were growing up. They don't even know what you're talking about when when you talk about what you should eat or not eat. They're they're not familiar with that. And and guess what? And here here comes the hammer. Uh, They're children of God. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, You don't have any right. You have no authority to stand in judgment over these folks. Things are different. A new day has come. It's not the first time in the history of of, uh, Israel, Jewish people, that this has happened. Uh, You'll remember that, that they felt like they believed after they came out of exile in Babylon that they were supposed to rebuild a wall all the way around Jerusalem so nobody could get in. Keep them out. Barbarians at the gate, that's where they'll stay. They're not coming through. And then this prophet named Isaiah comes along and has the audacity, 
course, he qualified it this way, so nobody would blame him, I think, even though they did. He, he got to say, thus saith the Lord. It's God's fault. Blame God. Thus saith the Lord. Y'all are a light to the nations. Don't let that light be hidden. Take the message of God and God's love and God's truth to the world. That's why God called you into being. That's why God called you to be his, his servants. And later, Isaiah prophesizes about a servant, a servant leader, the Messiah, who will come and show us exactly what that means about Jesus Christ, he prophesizes. So, Paul says to these folks, a new day's come. Things are different. Things are changing. We're all children of God. You don't have any right to stand in judgment. You don't, have, you don't have that authority. Just this past week, I've been going to Einstein Brothers Bagels for 16 years. And I don't mean like just once a week. I go almost every day. I went there this morning before I came here. Now, if you're familiar at all with what's been going on in Chauncey Village, you know that you, you know, there's hardly any way you can get around. But for, for years, for all those years, and, and well before that time, Northwestern that runs by Einstein Bagels is one way. Only go one way. Not anymore. It's two ways. But for 16 years, if I happened to park on the other side of the street, all I had to do was look left. Nobody was coming. It's clear. I can go. I'm all right. So, earlier this week, I come out. I'm not thinking about the fact that it's a two-way street now. I walk out. I look left. I'm clear. Out into the road I go. And about get about halfway out there, and I realize there's a car that has come to a sudden stop that is coming from my right. Thank God he came to a sudden stop. Things have changed. And all of a sudden, traffic goes both ways. And that's what Paul says to the church in Rome, to those who are struggling over this issue of food. It's a two-way street now. It's not just one way. There are people that are going to be coming into this, this uh, movement, coming into the body of, the Christ, of Christ, and they'll come in with different ideas. And they'll look different. Their culture will be different. The way they grew up will be different. But guess what? We're all one and the same. Things will be different. Churches always struggle with that. Uh, Paul also talks about festival days. Oh, one, one person says this festival is better than the next festival. Churches always struggle with that. Do you know in 1644, in England, of all places, a man named Oliver Cromwell was prime minister. He was a Puritan. And you think, well, good, no, good disciplined Christian, you think that'd be a good thing. But... Cromwell convinced uh, other Puritan legislators in the Parliament in England to do something that was surprising, or certainly surprising to us now. He outlawed Christmas. 
You can't be happy on Christmas. You can't be joyful on Christmas. It's sinful to be joyful. So we're just not going to have it. If you celebrate Christmas, you will go to jail if we catch you. Now, you would think the outcry would be such that uh, they'd immediately, uh, you know, uh, repeal that law. But no, but three years later, in 1647, they reaffirmed it. No celebration. Now, obviously, Cromwell didn't win out. The, you know, the parliament at that time didn't win out. Common folk in England said, the heck with this. We, we like Christmas. We're going to celebrate that. Paul again says, you know, don't, don't be so hasty to judge other people and the customs that they bring and the celebrations that they bring that they'll incorporate into the life of the church. Embrace that. These are folks that God loves, that God cares about, just like he cares about you. And the way that Paul expresses that is by saying, live to the Lord. You belong to the Lord. So in Romans, the 8th chapter, verse 9, he says, the Spirit of the Lord dwells in you. In 1 Corinthians, the 3rd chapter, verses 21 through 23, you belong to the Lord. You're God's child. And in Galatians, the fifth chapter, verses 22 through 25, he says, okay, if you live for the Lord and you belong to the Lord, then be guided by the Spirit. Live in the Spirit. Be guided by the Spirit. And know that when you're guided by the Spirit, the Lord may take you to some interesting places. Some places you don't want to go. You remember the story of Jonah in the Old Testament? The only thing we ever remember about that is he was swallowed by a whale. But Jonah was swallowed by the whale. That whole thing happened because Jonah didn't want to go where the Spirit was leading him. I want you to go, the Lord says to Jonah, to a place, to a people that are very different In fact, to people that you don't like. In fact, to people that most of the people in Israel don't like. I want you to go to Nineveh. Jonah finally goes, finally gets there, does what God tells him to do. Lo and behold, the people of Nineveh were told, repent. They hear what Jonah has to say about God. About Yahweh. God, yes, we repent, Lord, we repent. And God smiles and is gracious to him. You know what Jonah does? You remember, this? it's not a happy ending, really, for the story. Jonah gets mad, and he runs. He gets angry. He tries to hide from God. God finds him anyway. And you know what Jonah says to God? You know, that was why I didn't want to go to Nineveh in the first place. Because I knew you'd do something like this. I knew you'd, you know, you'd think these people were your children somehow. I didn't give you permission to do that. 
tend to do those kind of things. Oh, Dorothy Sayers said years ago about one of her friends, she said, no, she does not believe that she's God, that she knows everything God knows. But she does believe that she knows everything that God knew when God was her age. And so we're constantly trying to help God out. One of our elders this morning said, we, we uh, in prayer at the table, oh, Lord, we, uh, too often we want to be advisors rather than the ones who are counseled by your spirit. And so we want to uh, stand in for God and make judgments and uh, correct God's mistakes. Paul says, live to the Lord. As Paul reminds us in these verses that Christ, the Lord, the Messiah, is the Lord of the whole world. And therefore, is the reason for unity, our reason to seek unity, across barriers of custom and culture. Not to erect them, to cross them. To embrace other people. You know, the unity of Christians in the church is a sign that to principalities and powers, governments, that there's a greater rule than theirs. And it began with Jesus Christ. And that maintaining unity and, and, and reflecting God's light in this world is a matter of who we are. And who we want to be. People who live for the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for your forgiveness, grace. We thank you for the way that you challenge us in our lives. And Lord, we, uh, we admit that we're challenged often. So God, help us to uh, look to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith in all things. Lord, help us to, to live for Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.